welcome good people to this week's Women's Empowerment Power Hour with Dr. Jennifer. I am Dr. Jennifer and I'm thrilled you have chosen to dip in and give this show a listen. Today's show is going to be a great use of your time, I promise you. We are going to be talking about starting a business, whether it's a solopreneurship, a side hustle. I have a really enlightening discussion with a very successful serial entrepreneur who shares some do's and don'ts, some tips and tricks on starting a successful business and how she did it. Hang on because it's coming up next. Welcome to Women's Empowerment Power Hour. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me to have this important discussion. Well, thanks for having me, Jennifer. We've got two Jennifers uh, in, the, in the room, right? So uh, what could go wrong? Exactly. It's the Jennifer Power Hour. Yeah, we just have to rename this, this show from here on out. Well, I am really excited to talk with you about your business and in particular, sort of more generally, there are a lot of women are sort of re-evaluating their satisfaction professionally and, you know, with their lives. And we've gone through this pandemic and a lot of people have quit their jobs or changed jobs and are thinking about starting a business, a solopreneurship or starting a business with friends. And you have done this successfully. So I thought a great person to talk with about your experience and perhaps some tips on women who are thinking about starting a business. So first, just if you would share a little bit about your business. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Jennifer Crawford. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur uh, and a business owner since I was 19, which was, I assure you, quite a, a few lifetimes ago. Um, and I got hooked on entrepreneurship with my first business. It was a pet sitting and dog walking company. And I've stayed sort of in that service sector ever since. But at 19, you can imagine how little I knew about business. And I figured if I can start a business with $75 at 19 years old and eventually uh, grow that business to a seven-figure company and eventually sell it, anybody is suited for business success. Since then, uh, yeah, I've reinvented myself a couple of times, but I currently... Uh, run two virtual assistant agencies. One helps uh, small business owners grow and scale their companies by taking daily operations off their plates with very talented virtual assistants that also happen to be full-time stay-at-home moms. And I recently purchased uh, with my business partner, we purchased another virtual assistant agency in 2022 called Move Forward Virtual Assistance. And that agency specializes in the mental health industry. So we take administrative operations off the plates of mental health care providers. So it's a very uh, specialized service and we have HIPAA compliant virtual assistance to help from anything from scheduling to insurance and billing. Both services I love so much because we're helping business owners 
uh, grow sustainable businesses. And to me, sustainable is not just profitable, but sustainable means that you are working and developing a business that supports a lifestyle that does not include stress and overwhelm and overwork, which for me, that's particularly important being a woman, since we tend to take on a lot of responsibilities outside of our professional career in terms of caregiving and household duties and family and all of that. So that's me in a nutshell. I love entrepreneurship. I love helping women find financial success and freedom and wealth through entrepreneurship. You can't see me because this is just audio, but I'm dancing in my chair because um, just yay, you are just <laughs> a- affirming that you are the absolutely the perfect person to have this discussion with. And I am just celebrating for you and with you that you have had so much success. And I'm underlining sustainable and I'm underlining helping women. You're just doing great things. And again, the perfect person to have this discussion with. So, wow. Yeah. So you started a business at 19. So entrepreneurship is, it's a reflex almost for you. So what advice or thoughts do you have for a woman who, um, regardless of age or regardless of situation is thinking, I'm really not happy with my job. I don't like my work-life balance. I don't like where I am professionally. Uh, and I, I'm, thinking about starting a business, but I'm afraid, or I just don't know how to get started. And those might be different questions, but however you want to tackle that. Yeah, I I think they are different questions and they're the most common questions that are essentially stumbling blocks for people actually starting their business. So the first is it's a risk. I'm afraid to start. I'm putting so much at risk, but the fact is having a job is risky too. You are at the mercy of your employer who can lay you off at any moment without notice. And we have seen a ton of that lately, right? With all the tech layoffs going on. So you don't necessarily have a lot of control of your destiny just because you have a job. It's also risky to keep a job that you are perpetually unhappy or stressed or taken advantage of in. The mental toll um, is really harmful and stress has a real health impact you know, we, we only get one chance at this life, right? So, uh, you know, we really want to minimize the time in this life that we're miserable. And I think that is the real risk of not taking the leap that you think would be a good leap for you. The second, you know, stumbling block is I don't know what I would do. Like, I have no idea what business I would start. And the best advice I could give for that is, What I find is that no matter what job somebody has, in my case with my first business, I had a minimum wage job and minimum wage back then was like $3 and something. Um, And I started my business because in that minimum wage job, I noticed that there was a need for people to have care for their pets in their homes when they were medically compromised, right? So the veterinarian I worked for did boarding, but the pets that boarded got sick because yeah. they were stressed out. It was loud. It was noisy. It wasn't that they weren't getting good care. It was just, they were out yeah. of the environment that could not be removed. And so these pets would end up becoming sicker, but keeping them in their home while their people traveled, then 
it was fine. And I started pet sitting um, and caring for these pets in their homes, administering medications and all of that. And that's how I started the business that eventually became a seven figure company from this minimum wage job. Not only that, but the vet was veterinarian was happy to give me referrals that funneled business um, funneled clients into that new business and acted as the fire starter, I guess, of its success. So my advice from that experience is everybody I know that has a job notices things that need improvement, whether it's in the industry, something that needs improvement within their hiring process or HR, whatever it is, you know that things could be better and you know how to fix it. And that's a good starting point for starting a business is what services could you deliver to fix the situation or to serve clients better? Or what need do you see that you think you could fulfill? I'm concentrating on service-based businesses because service-based businesses are the easiest to launch and have the lowest overhead. Mm -hmm. Um, I so appreciate your kind words about my success, but What I didn't include in that brief intro is that I definitely had business failures. I lost my shirt on a business that was a brick and mortar. All Everything that I got out of my first business, I lost in my second business. And that was a brick and mortar. It had a lot of high overhead. It was a different animal. And so I find that, you know, I I am really good at building service-based businesses, but not so much in the brick and mortar. So in terms of starting a business, I would say a service-based business is the least risky. Mm -hmm. And they're so easy to start as a side hustle, if you will, something Mm -hmm. that you work on outside of your job. I would just recommend that you put some sort of time limit on your side hustle, because when it comes down to it, working a full-time job and then working a business on the side is a lot of work. It can be a great vehicle to get where you're going, but you don't want to stay in that vehicle too long. Yeah, You're like, you're just hanging on to your safety net because you're afraid to depend on your business because then you're dealing with double burnout, right? You're, yeah. you're going to have even more stress and overwhelm and ultimately not fixing the problem. Yeah, great point. What I'm hearing is that you're saying it's a not a bad strategy to get started with a side hustle and launch and give it a little bit of time and see how it goes before you wave goodbye and walk out the door and have the big I quit moment. Yeah. I think it depends on your situation though. When I started my first business, I was 19. I didn't have a mortgage. I'd had no responsibilities. I barely owned my car. So me starting a business was really not risky at all. I I really didn't have a lot to lose. I didn't have to support a family. It was a great time for me to start a business in that, in that situation. There are people that have worked careers and they have a nest egg and they have some savings and security. And so maybe they can leave their Mm. business and start something new and take that risk without being financially devastated. But then there are people that are working paycheck to paycheck. That's just a reality, uh, particularly in this economy. And I don't want anyone to take a risk that could cost them their home or not being able to pay for groceries. I mean, the reality is entrepreneurship can absolutely be your path to financial freedom and wealth. But in the meantime, your bills still have to be paid, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, and unfortunately, the other sort of sticky wicket in this country that our health benefits or retirement benefits are 
tied to our jobs because we don't have universal health care. So if you're not covered by someone else's policy or in a position that you can afford to buy your own policy, that's something to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Although um, some people think that it's impossible to get health care set up as an entrepreneur, and that's not the case. There are plans that you can get into that cater to the self-employed. Obviously, you don't have an employer there paying for it, but it's worth looking into in advance so you can measure those costs and get a realistic snapshot of what you will need to walk away from your business. Like I'm a numbers girl. I, I want to know the numbers all the time in my business before I make a business decision. And I think even if you're at that point where you're just starting to think about starting a business, it's not too early to start getting your numbers together, figure out what you need to cover all of your expenses, like Uh so that you know how much you need to bring in, in your business, like where that inflection point is where you can break away from the job that you don't love anymore and go and bet on yourself and yeah. go time in your business. How important do you think, this is something that I have heard, do you have a business plan or what is your business plan? How important do you think that is? Well, yeah, I, I think they have some value in terms of going through the thought process of your business and mm-hmm evaluating risks. I I find that, and I'm this, I've been guilty of this, like the business that failed. I mean, I had rose colored glasses. I, I wrote a really thorough business plan and I thought I was being super conservative. And I was like, these numbers work. Well, in reality, the numbers did not look like the numbers in my business plan whatsoever. And in reality, my business evolved and changed and didn't look like the business plan. But when I took that business plan to banks, they were very impressed with it. You know, at the time, like when I was seeking a business yeah. loan, I uh, didn't end up getting the business loan because that business that I started was in 2008. For you, for those of you that remember, that was when yes. the housing bubble, you know, burst. So all of a sudden the banks weren't giving small businesses loans anymore. <laughs> so that was really bad timing on my part. But I wouldn't say you necessarily need a business plan to start a business. I wouldn't not launch my business because I didn't have a business plan. But I think there is value in thinking through your competition, you know, the services you're offering, figuring out what you need to charge for these services in order to make a profit, thinking about what you want your business to look like in a year versus five years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, putting together a business plan forces you to go through those machinations and to think about those things, which I think there is value there. Yeah, great advice. And I think I'm not an expert in this at all, but I'm just wondering if the idea of the business plan is is changing because 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you didn't have to have like a social media plan to launch, right? And now that's one of the cornerstones is your communication plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, honestly, but it's kind of a moving target when you think about this is like what I'd like to do. Importantly, thinking through, like as you said, what's the competition? Who else is working in this area? What is my specific niche? What am I adding that nobody else necessarily is? It's, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that's really wise. Yeah, absolutely. I think the business plan is definitely something you need if you're looking for funding. Like if you're going to go through the SBA or you're going to approach a bank trying to get a loan or even an investor will probably want to see some sort of business plan. 
But if you're a bootstrapping entrepreneur, and that's really what I've been, you know, my entire life, I, as it turned out, I've never had a business loan. Even when I've tried, I have not gotten them. I've been bootstrapping all the way. And I have come to really respect that way of doing business. And it's my preferred way of doing business. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, if you were looking for a loan, they will want a business plan. Yeah. That's a really good point. And my guess is that the majority of new businesses, first of all, we know the statistics, the majority of new businesses fail. That does not mean that you shouldn't try. And the majority of new businesses are probably bootstrapped. There's not a lot of capital, especially venture capital for women entrepreneurs. That's just that's the reality. So if you don't have the backing of some venture capitalist, or you don't have uh, a great package from the Small Business Association, it doesn't mean necessarily that you can't give it a try. Yeah, there are a lot of ways. I mean, it really is choose your own adventure in this business world. There's no one way to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I mentioned that I love bootstrapping and not going into debt for your business because one, you don't go into debt for your business. So financially, you're starting stronger than your typical person who's starting out in debt, right? And also, it really teaches you to the difference between want and need in your business. So you grow it more responsibly. You're not throwing money at things. You're you're being forced to think through how you're using your business dollars to develop your business. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with growing slow. I think particularly when we look at like the tech sector and all of these, you know, successful entrepreneurs that make the news, like everybody wants to grow so quickly, but they're not paying attention necessarily to profit. They're not paying attention to core values and how they treat their people. And I would much rather have a slow growth model where I can grow my company intentionally and my services intentionally, grow my team intentionally, um, and pay attention to all of those things that ultimately make a very robust, sustainable, ethical business. Yeah, I think that the tech sector actually could learn from what you just said, because they do tend to grow really fast, and then they shrink really fast, which we've oh, just yeah. seen. Um, my husband is in the tech sector. <laughs> he's a he's a uh-huh. software he's a software dude, very good at what he does, and and he loves the startup environment. So he's worked for a few startups, and I won't name the startup name, but they are a fraction of what they used to be. And they were a very exciting company at one time. And I remember when he worked there, they were not making any money. They were running purely on millions and millions of investor dollars. And he had to travel to London quite a bit. They had offices in London, fancy offices in London, like the most expensive real estate ever. And they would tell him to fly first class or fly business, just charge it to the company credit card. And he wouldn't do it. He would travel coach because he's like, I want to be a good steward of this money Mm -hmm. because it is not ours. You know, it isn't, they've invested in us, they've betted on us. And at the same time, like they were spending money on incredibly expensive real estate. He was told that if something was less than $10,000 a month that they needed, he didn't have to get approval. I mean, it was spending money. Like it was just a limitless supply of it. 
And I think for them, it probably felt like it because they did have a lot of investor money, but they were also in a sector that went through money rather quickly uh-huh. and they ultimately just imploded. Like the money ran out and the investors were done and they had to close up shop almost overnight. It was very sudden and it was very sad because everyone loved it. Everyone loved the work environment because uh-huh. all of this perceived wealth and success And I mean, my husband wasn't shocked, but some of the employees were quite shocked. And, you know, it's just one example that I happen to have, you know, familiarity with, but you see it all the time. I mean, I'm sure sure you've seen the stories of, you know, businesses failing. We've, you know, we have like some very big mainstream companies that I don't think have yet shown a profit on the books. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's value in being large and having the market share, but I still like to see profit myself. Yeah. It's kind of important in sustainability too. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, you know, and then the flip side is like having too much profit, which we're seeing in late stage capitalism, right? Like just Mm -hmm. being profitable beyond what is necessary and then not paying the people that are actually making your company possible, not paying them fair wages and pushing all of that profit to shareholders and C-level employees. Um, And that is unethical and just, you know, there's got to be a better way to do things. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know, if the workforce that helped you earn that money, if you're not investing in them, then Mm -hmm. you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And now it's even impacting their customers, right? We're paying more for things. We're getting less dollars that we're spending with these people. And I don't know where they think this is going to end, but I don't think it's going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, we probably got off topic. No, no. (laughs) <laughs> but this so is Im- no, this is important because you know if you're if you are growing well and growing successfully, don't forget who helped you get there, and that would be the employees that worked extra when you needed them to. Yeah, which is hopefully not often, but if economic times got hard and you had to ask them to take an unpaid day of leave and they stayed with you and didn't quit, that you remember that when you are stable and generating profit, that you don't all of a sudden, you know what, we're going to downsize for whatever reason to generate more profit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think it's important to think about only because as small business owners, as an individual small business, you not might not employ as many people as the you know tech giants, but small businesses as a whole employ more people. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think this is where like ethical capitalism can really have a good, great impact. My industry right now is the virtual assistant industry. And as much as I love it, I also have a real problem with underpaid overseas labor. And we have a lot of first, first world successful entrepreneurs who are building companies and taking home profit on the backs of low paid, underpaid overseas labor. Um, these tend to be women. I have a real problem with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, you know, there, there are tons of stories out there that leads to human trafficking and all, all of this stuff. It's, it's a huge problem, but nobody's talking about it because too many people are getting rich because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will tell you, you know, as a virtual assistant agency that, pays the same in the U.S. 
as we do anybody that works with us that's not in the U.S., we pay the same wages. I can tell you that our customers are coming to us and they are asking us, what do you pay your virtual assistant? For both companies, we put what we pay our employees and our for MFEA, the mental health virtual assistant agency, we have employees and there are reasons for that. And at Sparent, our virtual assistant agency that serves small businesses, we hire independent contractors. And in both cases, we put what we pay our VAs on our website, both so applicants know, but also we don't want it hidden because I feel yeah. like if you're hiding it, there's a reason. And exactly. if you look at most virtual assistant companies, they're going to tell you what they charge, but they're not going to tell you what they pay. Um, but the point is people are starting to care about it. And I am so happily surprised that so many potential clients on bo- in both businesses care about it. They're willing to pay more for our services, knowing that they're hiring an ethical company, that the people that work for us are paid a fair wage, they get benefits, and our turnover is low because of that. And then Mm -hmm. they, you know, which means less disruption and more continuity in their businesses. But they also want to feel good. They want to know that they're not building a business unethically. Yeah. They're starting to ask the questions because they know that there are virtual assistants out there making $2 an hour. And I don't care where you live in the world. It's not a livable wage. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. have to be an economist to tell you that. There are calculators on the internet that are pretty reliable, but that's what we do. We, We justify underpaying people by saying things like, Oh, they live in a a country where that's enough to survive because of Mm -hmm. course they just need to survive. We don't need to like, we don't need to build them up or give them opportunities beyond surviving. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) It's so, it's so frustrating. (laughs) (sighs) Well, and even in this country, if you justify paying someone $7 and 25 cents an hour, because that is the federal minimum wage level, that's not Mm -hmm. enough right? No, that's making $14,000 a year. And if you have children, if you even if you're single, that is poverty. So um, oh, it's it's below. Yeah, well, yes. below the poverty level. I don't know if you watch TikToks, but I, I, I watch TikToks. And I think it's a, it's a great communication channel. And somebody on uh, a TikTok said recently that our Congress people should work for the federal minimum wage. That's what they should be paid. And I thought that is such a great idea because they can experience what yep. that wage feels like, how far it goes. And maybe then they'll have the empathy and that experience will prompt them to raise the minimum wage across the board. Yes. I can, I can that's never going to happen, Jennifer. It will yeah. happen, but a girl can dream. Yeah. I, I'm dreaming right there with you. I have always thought that one of my first jobs was at a, a fast food restaurant and After that experience, I have thought everyone should have to have a job where you provide customer service so that you understand what it means to work those kind of jobs and you will have a much different respect for that standing on your feet those many hours and just you won't get angry with them when your burger takes 60 seconds longer than you expected. Service work is hard work, even if it's paid low. I'm taking a little sidetrack here, but it's an important one because, you know, if you're starting a business 
and I'm sure you can speak to this better, but your books are going to be tight and you want to generate a profit as soon as you can, but be careful that you don't underpay your contractors or your employees or your vendors, whomever you're working with or who is working for you because you can. And because you make such a good point. Yes. You make such a good point. And That reminds me of a mistake I see a lot of new business owners make. And that is when they're first starting out, typically it's just them. They don't have a team, right? So when they set their rates and what they're going to charge their clients, they set the rate without having a team in mind and without accounting for their own time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all of the time, like yeah. all of the time, the, the phone calls, the emails, the paperwork, the thinking, the, um, the impromptu meetings, like they don't account for all of their time. So this is what happens. They end up undercharging and then they get busy, you know, their business picks yep. up and they need to hire a team and they can't afford it. Yeah, They can't afford it because they're not charging enough because they never, they ne- they didn't price according to what, you know, how they're going to grow. And a lot of that's just lack of confidence as a business owner. You're like, oh, nobody's going to pay me. I'm going yeah. to charge this. I'm going to charge that. And it, it's a fixable mistake. You can raise your rates, you can realign, but it would certainly make your business a lot easier and less painful if you got those numbers right in the beginning. I remember one time when we were first starting Sparent, my first virtual assistant agency. I have a, a co-founder. Her name's Meredith. We knew we yeah we had some entrepreneurship under our belts before we formed this partnership, and we both kind of came to the table uh, thinking we've made business mistakes, we've had failures, we've had successes. We are at a, a point in our journey where we want to take everything we've learned and apply it to this business. So first thing we did was hire an accountant because that was one of the lessons we learned is you know, don't mess around with uh, accounting. And so we met with this wonderful lady. She's, they're still our accountants to stay. And we told her what we were going to charge our clients. And she just immediately said, triple it. And I thought this lady is nuts, right? Uh (laughs) What is she talking about? Just triple it. Um, And she was right. We needed to triple our rates. And it seemed ridiculous at the time, but she was absolutely right. I would bet that most Young businesses need to triple their rates to make their business viable. Uh huh. Yeah. And so, uh, thinking about your pricing structure and your service structure, mm-hmm. um, think about not where you are right then with just you or just you and a partner, whomever it is launching, but where you want to be in a year or in five years. So absolutely. Yeah. What do I need to charge so that I can afford to pay a staff of three or five or whatever? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I always say work backwards, you know, where (laughs) work backwards in terms of like figuring out your rates. And Mm -hmm. and part of that is looking ahead a little bit. Yes, I'm going to need a team. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to need help. And even if you don't need an employee that first year, you're most likely are going to need 
contractors, you're going to have to outsource some of the yeah. work or some of the, the business responsibilities, whether it's to an accountant or a marketing person or whatever it is, um, you're not going to be able to do everything. And if you are doing everything, that is still an expense that should be accounted for. Yeah. That is often not. So, yeah, I mean, and it all plays to your point of paying people fairly. It's hard to pay people fairly if you're not charging what you need to charge as a business owner. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, know where your profit margins or where you where you want your profit margins to be. When we purchased Move Forward Virtual Assistance, it was a, a very different business, not only because it was specialized in the mental health field and has its own unique needs, but because we were transitioning to having employees. And so that's different. There's more complexity. You have to deal with payroll and we were providing benefits and there's a lot more overhead. So we had to figure out like, what profit do we need? You know, at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, what profit are we, do we need to make sure we maintain? And, you know, we figured that out. We wanted to fall between 10 and 15% profit. And so we based our rates, because uh, we had to change the rates when we bought it, based on that, you know, knowing all of our expenses, our numbers, what we wanted to pay our employees, where we want to take the business. And then that was the rate we landed on. And it was double what they were currently charging their clients. And so you could imagine how frightening that was to come in yeah. to owners and be like, hi, nice to meet you. We are doubling your rates. And yeah. we were just convinced convinced we were going to lose all the clients. And I, you know, I had a a bit of a sleepless night over it, but Meredith, my business partner, she's my business partner because she's very wise. And she told me, Jen, even if we lose all the clients, we don't want to run a business where we can't pay our people what we want to pay them. We don't want to run a business, you know, where we have to sacrifice our ideals. So we either you know, and this is the rate that it's going to take to run that business. So we either get this rate or we don't like, mm-hmm. and if, if, you know, if the business fails, like right after we buy it, if it fails, then, you know, it, we wouldn't have been able to run the business the way yeah. the business we wanted to run. So as it turned out, we only lost 5% of their clients and we had new clients coming in at the new rate. So we plugged that hole really quickly. And even in this late fourth decade of third decade, fourth decade of an entrepreneurship, I'm still learning lessons. It was still, you know, a valuable lesson to learn, like not to be so afraid to raise your rates. It's Mm -hmm. my worst case scenario was not even close to the reality. Mm -hmm. So um, what I'm hearing is that it's really crucial and we might've already covered this, but I just want to underline it to factor in your profit because otherwise you're not paying yourself. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Have, I mean, we're talking about the team, but yeah, you need to pay yourself. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's not going to be sustainable if you're mm-hmm. volunteering for two years for no pay, you, your business may be chugging along, but that's not sustainable. So sustainability applies to you as the business owner, entrepreneur as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, I talked about my first business and it was ultimately a successful business, but the first few years were awful. Um, The business grew really quickly, thanks to the veterinarian who supplied a steady uh, referral source for me. And at the time, pet sitting was kind of new. So I was just, the timing was really good. So I had so much business, 
but I didn't know anything about business. So it was just me. And I was visiting all the pets and I was answering the phone calls and returning voicemails and doing the paperwork. And, you know, I was wearing all the hats and, you know, a couple, two or three years in, I realized I can't grow this business anymore. Uh-huh. I am working. I'm getting up and leave. I'm out of the house by 6 a.m. at the latest. I am coming home at 10 or 11 at night. I'm working seven days a week. I work on the busiest on holidays and weekends. Oh, yeah. I was exhausted. As much as I loved my business, I was so tired. And I couldn't take a sick day. I couldn't take a vacation day. And I wasn't making that much money. I think by the time, like, I was like, okay, this, something's got to change. I was breaking six figures, but I didn't have time to enjoy the money. And I, and if you factored in all the hours I was working, it was minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So it like dawned on me one day that I thought I had a business, but really what I had was this DIY job and I, and this terrible boss, I was the boss. It was unrelenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what have I done? Like, I thought that I was going to start this business and have financial freedom and be in control of my destiny and being in control of my time. And here I was, I'd like reached a income ceiling. I was exhausted. And so it was then that I really, like I earned my MBA in real life Mm -hmm. uh, of like realizing, oh, like I can't be the one that does all the things I have to hire people and I have to stop working directly with clients and I have to start like building a business. And so I did like not overnight, but over, you know, about a year, course of a year, I fired myself from everything. I was no longer on the phones. I wasn't visiting the pets. And I was like, I can have a bigger impact by helping more pets stay at mm-hmm. home, get the care they need. If I'm not doing that myself. If I hire a team and train a team and come up with procedures and policies and an office manager. And, you know, in the end, by the time I sold the business, I was barely working in the business. I mean, I didn't have to work really much at all other mm-hmm. than just what I wanted to do. But I was like, it was such a valuable business lesson. And and I started paying myself a salary because I was just doing like owner draws. Up yeah. Down, uh-huh. Which is like amateur hour. And I was getting taxed to death because I didn't have my business entity set up correctly. I was like a sole solopreneur. So oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Tax. I was being taxed at the highest rate. So, you know, I had to get an account and she's like, oh, no, you need to be an S-corp um, and you need to pay yourself a salary, you know, and all of that happened. But it was, you know, it was a very rough road to get there. I'm so glad I got there eventually. But yeah, it's really important. I wish I had known what I know now, like when I started that company, but no, um, this, I am so glad that you shared that. And I think that this is really important for women to hear and to understand, because I can imagine that this would be something hard for women mm-hmm. to value their own time and yes. put put themselves at the front of an expense, you know, pay yourself first, yes, literally. And just starting out, I can imagine that women are the well, I, I will just get this going. I will make sure everything else is running. Yeah. And if there's a little bit extra for me, great, but I just want to get the business going. And again, not sustainable, right? No, it's not sustainable. I have met women. I know women who have had businesses for years and they're still not paying themselves a reliable salary. Like you said, they'll dip into the the company funds when they can, but they don't have a predictable income. They're not 
valuing their time and contribution to their business. And even if you can't pay yourself a full salary, um, you know, you're just starting out, pay yourself something, even if it's $25 yeah. a week, uh-huh. $100, you know, $100 a month, pay yourself something because you need to get into the mindset that you are worth something. And that yeah. business is a vehicle of wealth. It's not a vehicle to fill time and just check a box that you're working on your passion. Passion is important, but what, it, what I'm passionate about is being financially independent <laughs> while I yeah, do things sure. that I love, right? So they're not mutually exclusive, or at least they should not be mutually exclusive. So yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's to me, it's so important. And it's something that we relinquish too easily. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to circle back to something that you mentioned about working with an accountant. Yeah. Uh, what are some other professionals that you would suggest a new business uh, entrepreneur get advice from or uh, contract with to get assistance when starting a business? Yeah. I mean, the accountant obviously is a big one. Uh, With Meredith and I, we talked to a business attorney and we did that for a couple of reasons. We wanted to make sure that our customer service agreements protected us and served our clients well. So we we had those reviewed and drawn up. And um, and then also because we were a partnership, which is essentially a marriage, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, just a you know a different link legal term to it, but it's, you know, we are very married legally because of this business. We wanted to make sure that we had somebody draw up our partnership papers and make sure that we protect each other in all the eventualities, right? Like, you know, if we decide to break up, if one of us is ill or one of us dies unexpectedly, what happens to the business? We we hired somebody to to take care of that. And we just wanted to make sure that legally we were protecting uh, ourselves and our business. So I thought Mm -hmm. that was a really good investment of time. The thing that we invested in early that I wish we hadn't is we did invest in like getting a logo um, drawn up and like a little bit of branding materials. And it, it wasn't an insignificant cost, but I, looking back, it was premature because we really didn't know our business well enough. And what happened is when we did know our business well enough, we were like reaching the two year mark and you know, we'd been through an evolution. We got to know our business. We got to know our clients better, what they needed. We ended up just doing a complete rebrand. So our business today on a marketing level looks a lot different than it did then. And I was like, oh, we should have just saved the money and waited um, until, Uh you know, that gelled a little bit. Now with, you know, having employees with Move Forward, we've, we've outsourced a bit more. We have, you know, we've outsourced to an HR company. We've outsourced to sales teams. These are sort of things that happen when your business is a a different stage, but Uh Yeah, we uh, we love to say let professionals do what professionals do. So yeah. as soon as we when we have the resources, we get professionals to to take things off of our plates and do them better than we can do. Yeah, it seems like one of the first things that people do. Oh, I've got this business idea. I'm gonna pay to have a sexy website done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you do need a website at some point. Is mm-hmm. it? What do you think of that strategy? 
You know, I think you can start your business without one. It's funny, um, you you know, we're we're friends outside the show, so you know that I have this little house in the mountains and uh, of Southwest Virginia. And it's funny, there are a lot of businesses in Southwest Virginia. Um, you know, plumbers, electricians, you know, you name it. You know, landscapers, but nobody has a website in this, uh-huh. in this mountain town. Everybody runs their business off Facebook. They have a Facebook page, and they oh have a yeah. Phone. And there is no website, absolutely no website whatsoever. You can Uh message through Facebook and text them. And that is how they run their businesses. And they're running decent businesses um, this way. And it's not necessarily the best way. I mean, the customer experience suffers for sure. But uh, when you're bootstrapping and if you don't have the resources, definitely you can forego the website. And you certainly don't need to have the slickest website no, out you there. Not. Yeah. You do not. A website definitely has value, but it's not something that is should prevent you from starting your business. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, are there any other things that you could share that you've noticed? You mentioned a couple of things, but that you've noticed that either you have done or you've noticed other people have done when they started business that you have thought were a mistake or you regretted or you do it differently that you can share? Oh, a mistake that I would do differently. Oh, geez. I mean, so many mistakes. (laughs) So many. I think one is not getting a business partner sooner. And Uh that is, um, and I mentioned that because it's not in like the top 10 you know, bullet points of small business advice. You'll never see it in the top 10, right? Nobody's a business partner. But I've done it myself. I was always a lone ranger. And when Meredith and I started the you know a company together, I was really worried because I was like, I've never had a business partner. And you hear horror stories. But I am telling you, we could not have accomplished nearly what we've accomplished. I couldn't have bought the second agency without the support of a business partner. The creative energy, the division of duties, the somebody to collaborate with um, that's equally invested in the success has been a game changer for me as a business owner and as an entrepreneur. And now I don't think I would ever, ever have another business without a business partner. Not just any business partner, has to be the right business partner. I have the right business partner. We've been together long enough to know that it works for us. Uh, We we complement each other's skill sets really nicely. And then we're a good personality fit too. We're we're both very even keeled. We're, you know, we, we don't run hot or cold. You know, mm-hmm. we're pretty moderate personalities. We're not prone to anger easily or emotional outbursts. So we're uh-huh. just kind of meshed really well that way. So that's one thing. And, you know, the other thing, again, is just not underpricing yourself. The businesses that I see struggle are always the ones that are underpriced because they attract clients that are not their ideal clients, yeah. that are really high maintenance and low pay. And that's a really bad combination. Yes, yes. And the reason they don't charge enough is they just don't have the confidence to charge more. Yeah. But people will base how how they value you will be based on how you value yourself. Yes. So that yeah. is really like the best advice I can give. That no, but that is really important because if you're attracting clients who are looking for bargain basement services, is that necessarily the person that you would like to work with? Absolutely. Or work for? 
Absolutely. And the only other you know piece of advice that I should throw out there, because we were talking to people who might want to start a business who are you know, maybe stuck in that job, they just can't stand and they dream of maybe going out on their own is that you can do it. I'm not a genius. Like I said, 19 years old, starting a company with $75 in the bank. You don't have to be anybody like anything special to start a business. There's really no difference between you and the most successful business owner other than they took that step and they took uh-huh. They took that risk and they bet on themselves. So if you think you can't start because you, you know, you're not a business person, you haven't been to business school, you don't know anything about business, you can start. I assure you, you can absolutely start a business. Yeah. And the other thing that I hear women say is, well, but I don't have any unique ideas or I was thinking about doing this, but someone else is doing it. But that's not a reason not to, because there's plenty of market out there, right? It's actually a reason too. And I'll tell you, you know, I mentioned briefly the the brick and mortar that I started that failed. It was actually doing pretty well. Like the revenue was going up, but I ran out of money before it got profitable. So yeah, it's a mixed bag of like success failure, but financially, definitely it was a failure for me. It was an early co-working space for creatives. And at the time, like, I don't even know that there were any co-working spaces. So I thought it was this great idea. And it was, I I I still think it was a great idea, but by being the, like kind of the first out there doing something like that, or coming in early, you lose the benefit of seeing other people educate the market and have a success. And then you being able to be like, oh yeah, I'm doing that too. And it's familiar and people know what it is. So it was a heavier lift to educate people about what our space was all about. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's already, I mean, like there's very few new ideas out there. Yeah, right. Um, unless you're inventing a new product and even that is like hard, but yeah, you know, somebody is probably doing your idea somewhere else, but that's just proof, right? Proof yeah. that it's needed, pr- proof that people will pay for it. And again, if you don't have any ideas, I say lean back with your whatever, wherever you have intimate knowledge, like look at your, the job where you're at look, you have intimate knowledge of that industry. What do you see? What do you see that they need? I think that's just an easy, low barrier entry to entrepreneurship because you have intimate knowledge. I don't care if you work, if you work at a fast food place, I don't care where you work, you have intimate knowledge of the industry and you see a need somewhere. You see Mm -hmm. a need that you might be able to fulfill. And another, another entrepreneurial story I'll share with you and to tell you how easy it can be to start a business in the early nineties, I had started my pet sitting company, but it was still growing. And, um, I had a friend who'd been laid off. There was another recession in the early nineties for those of us who remember that So she had uh, been laid off and she could literally wallpaper her living room with rejections, you know, job rejections. And she was getting a little desperate. She had gone through her savings and she was stressing out. And I was like, you know, I don't know if she said it or I said it, but like, well, we should clean houses. And we, you know, we printed out some silly little flyer using clip art on my printer. And we walked out the door of my neighborhood. We walked away from my college town house that I shared with roommates. And we walked down the street to the McMansions and we just started knocking on doors And it was such a last minute sort of Hail Mary for her that the first person invited us in to give them a quote for house cleaning. And we hadn't even discussed what we charged. We had no idea. We were like, we were a deer caught in headlights, Uh but we came up with a number and they said, come on Monday. And we kept going until we 
we had in two hours, we had a full roster of clients and we cleaned, I helped her clean these houses just so Uh she could have some money coming in. I still had free time because my business was young and that's how she got back on her feet. And Uh then she eventually got a job offer and cleaning houses is really hard work. My, my pet sitting business was picking up. That's what I really wanted to do. She got a good job. And so we, you know, we closed up shop. It was a short-term business for sure, but it was literally just knocking on doors Uh and no cleaning homes was not my passion, but at that moment, you know, what was more important was her getting an income. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and sometimes that ha- that that has to be your passion for the moment, and it has mm-hmm. to be the way you get somewhere else. So yeah, yeah. There's always the door knocking. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. And there's. I'm pretty sure that there were probably other people cleaning houses in that town, but mm-hmm. you were the first one to knock on the door, and you had yeah. the right pitch or whatever. Yeah. So again, don't have the mindset. Well, there's other people working doing that. If I try, it won't work or. No, I I mean, I can, we live in a house and we're surrounded by trees and there's always yard work. I'm not great at yard work. We're always behind on yard work. I'm telling you, you know, most days if somebody knocked on my door and offered to like clean up the leaves or rake this or pick up sticks, I would be like, yes, thank you. Yeah. You Uh know, because I, I, it needs to be done, but it's not like I'm going to go shopping around you know, I don't think to shop around and get somebody to do it. But if somebody just showed up and offered to do it, I'd probably yeah. <laughs> and that's the benefit of of a, a marketing plan. And if you have the uh, the ability when you're launching a business to talk with somebody about a marketing plan mm-hmm. um, at some point, that might not be a launch, but at some point, um, how to get yourself in front of people so that you can sell your services. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we I just got a flyer and they made the local news. There are these pictures. I think they're in high school. And in the county that I, I live in, they stopped picking up glass for recycling. You can't put it out with your normal recycling. You have to drive it to these purple containers. Oh, um, no. And so, you know, it's it's a little bit of an inconvenience, right? To yeah. separate the glass and then store it up until, you know, you can drive it out. Yeah. To the glass recycling, you got to store it someplace in the house and you have to wait till you have enough to justify the trip. Well, these young men came up with a business and they come to your house on your recycling day, whatever it is, and they pick up your glass and they take it for you. And it's pretty inexpensive. I want to say it's like eight or 10 bucks every time they come. Uh-huh. And apparently they're doing gangbusters, but it was just, they saw a need. Exactly. They're yeah. Attention. They saw a need. I was like, uh-huh. what a brilliant, a brilliant idea. Yes. So whatever that idea you have knocking around in your head, if you're listening, listen to that little voice that says, yeah, that could be me because it could Mm -hmm. take a chance on yourself. Take a risk. There are tons of ideas. I don't know if you are familiar with James Altucher, but he's has a podcast and he's written books and uh, he encourages people to write down like, and he does this himself, like 10 ideas a day. And no pressure that they have to be good or anything like that, but it's kind of just getting into the practice of, you know, creative thinking and thinking. Uh-huh. Ideas. And I think for somebody that's wants to be an entrepreneur, it's a really great practice. I have ideas all the time. Like, you know, I'm yeah. just, I love, I love thinking of business ideas and there's one business idea. And I think it's because I did spend time cleaning houses at one time and I'm a huge pet lover and I have a hundred pound drooly dog. 
I've always said if somebody started a cleaning business that specialized specifically in pet households, where they specialized in getting the pet hair off the couches, yes, and the drool off the walls, <laughs> and all of the thing, you know, and the, the nose prints, litter boxes, like <laughs> basically just like just specializing in pet households, like pet safe cleaners, pet friendly, you know, cleaners uh-huh. comfortable with your pets where you don't have to like necessarily shut them in a room. Yeah. Uh, I think that business would be really successful. I would hire that business. I don't have, yes. a, I don't have a cleaning, you know, person now. Uh-huh. But I would if like, it was somebody that loved pets and knew how to like get my meatballs dog hair out yes. of positions effectively. You know? So there you go. Yeah, you just run with it, somebody. (laughs) Exactly. You just delivered a genius idea for a business. If you didn't have one, now you do. And if that's not what what I would want, right? Yeah, exactly. 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 Mm -hmm. And that uh, is a great idea. Just if you have an idea, make a note of it because it will get the creative juices flowing. And if you're anything like me, it will get pushed down and you will forget because you got to go grocery site, you know, the, the trillion things that women do, it will get lost in the fray. Um, Absolutely. And don't, you know, people, I know people, uh, so many people, uh, Jennifer, in my own life that they're really talented at something and it could just be a creative hobby, but they're really talented at something and they've probably heard, oh, I would pay you to do that. Oh, yeah. I would pay you uh-huh. to do that. But to them, it's something that comes so easily and effortlessly that they can't imagine charging someone for something that comes so easily to them. And uh-huh. that, and that's the business they should be running. Yeah, exactly. Or you think, oh, well, I, I, you undervalue your own talent. Yes. And I, I mean, she said that. Or, or they said that to be nice and nobody's really going to pay me to do it, but why not give it a try? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has a business in them. Everybody has a unique talent, a gift, a higher calling, a zone of genius. If you are familiar with that term, uh-huh. everyone has a zone of genius. Like it, everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, what your educational background is, or your economic background, you have a zone of genius. Uh-huh. And that is, you know, another place where a potential business is brewing. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time. And you have just poured the genius into <laughs> us. So thank you for that. Would you share if anyone is interested in hiring a virtual assistant from Sparent or if someone is interested in perhaps working with you, uh, how is the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, They can reach out through our website at Sparent.co and that's just the word parent with the S on the front. It's a made up word and Sparent.co. And you can see what we're all about and schedule a call there. Great. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It has been a joy talking with you. And now I'm just ready to go and put up my billboard. Oh, you you (laughs) could totally do it, Jen. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thanks so much, friends, for listening in to Women's Empowerment Power Hour with Dr. Jennifer. We hope you will follow the show by subscribing to us wherever you find your podcasts so you won't miss an episode. 
or by listening for our weekly show on 360 Talk Radio for Women. We have lots of great content in the queue, I promise you. Until then, have an empowerful week.